We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Where would you rather be than right here, right now? The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. The Bills make me wanna Dancing out of the pocket, chased by Quinn, nowhere to go, Allen goes back the other way, picks up a block, Allen now fires towards the end zone, and it is incomplete! Charles Clay was open, and they just missed connecting for an incredible, improbable touchdown! Everybody, another edition of the Rockpile Report Podcast. I am your host, Bill season ticket holder Drew Gear. and I write to my producer Chris Krueger, and that was Andrew Catalan from CBS Sports. Play the game right there, Chuck Clay. Chuck Clay, catch the goddamn ball. Man, that was brutal. Folks, it was abnormally warm. I mean, I'd like to think playing the Miami Dolphins had something to do with it, but it was abnormally warm here in the city of Buffalo yesterday. So much so that Chris and I got to do our Periscope videos during the game, both you know halftime adjustments and post-game, outside, which was odd. Yeah, well, you needed to yell, so why not yell into Earth <laughs> and not outside. confine it to your house? In, into the ether, scare yes. the hell out of my neighbors. We don't speak <laughs> English, so. <laughs> oh, folks, it's funny. We had a really interesting... So Chris Ubers to my house for all of the games. Chris, why don't you tell me... Well, I took a lift, first of all, because uh, 25% off. So I took a lift. And the dude that picked me up, was he was wearing a Bills jersey... Obviously, like a gentleman, because he's going to go watch the game, too, obviously. And we're discussing uh, football-related topics on the way over to Drew's, and we get to Indian Church and Union. And uh, I made mention that I was a season ticket holder, and then he goes, oh, I'm a season ticket holder, too. And I go, where are you sitting? He goes, oh, I'm in the rock pile, 200 row 9. And I go, get the fuck out of here. I said, I go, get the fuck out of here. I go, I'm in 200 row 7. And so we get to talking, and he's like, he's like, you sit, oh, you sit with with Drew? Yeah, you're taking me to his house right how, now. For for the listeners, how old was this gentleman? He had to be, he had a full head of gray hair, so it's got to be at least fifty five or and older. Okay, it would be my guess. But then he were, he knew you, he knew you said the word. 
yesterday. So, uh, well, not yesterday. I mean, you did say yesterday, just in the confines of your own home. But at the stadium, he heard that. And he said, well, eh, you know, he goes, like, uh, Drew, Drew knows what he's talking about, but oftentimes he's misunderstood. <laughs> Folks, I have, there's an old man and his son who I talk to on a regular basis. He describes me to other people. He describes me to other people as misunderstood. My wife got a kick out of that. Her reaction to that was priceless. Chris, me, misunderstood. No, you are a tool. Oh, I, I as evidenced by our Twitter feed right now. If you go, if you go, apparently out there, nobody's ever seen somebody eat a green pepper like an apple. But I am getting roasted right now on social media for this. Yeah, Wait, and, is it that and, weird to just walk around with a green pepper, just eating it like an apple? No, but you also show up with a bag of uh, baby carrots from time to time. So another reason what? you should not be trusted. And then just a couple minutes ago, you're putting taco sauce on chicken wings. Listen. I am a visionary, okay? I am a visionary and I am an explorer in the realm of condiments. All right? You literally, I have seen you put ketchup and mustard and taco sauce all at once on a salt and vinegar chip. I've seen it with my own two eyes. You're a lunatic and you should not be trusted. Chris, in the words of one of our fellow Rockpile season ticket holders, I'm just misunderstood. All right? With that, we launch into this week's Bill's News Update. This is a story that broke last week that we didn't really have time to cover, and now that I've had some time, I wanted to sit down and really go over it, uh, just for, I don't know, to talk about it, get, get my thoughts out there so I can kind of organize them. New Buffalo Bills Stadium. It's been a topic on everybody's mind for the last 10 years. It's been a conversation piece amongst fans. Last week, the Pagulas took what is probably the first realistic step towards towards that process in announcing the hire of uh, consulting firm CAA Icon. Essentially, they're going. They have a lot of experience in renovations and stadium deals, things of that nature, and they're performing what's being called a "quote unquote" feasibility study in terms of the new stadium and what is reasonable to expect. Were they to trade and essentially lay out the Pagula's options for them as well as give them solid pricing estimates for each one of them? Chris, how long have we been going back and forth as a fan base about this topic of a new stadium? I would, my guess is going to be like, as long as we've been doing the podcast, I think at some point every year you have at least one piece on a new stadium. Oh, I, and you have to because it keeps coming up. And the crazy thing is this. You take a look at it. The last time the numbers got reviewed for something like this, it was estimated that the project would run about a billion dollars for a brand new stadium, and that at least six hundred million is what it would run to massively upgrade the existing stadium. Kim Bagula made a statement and said that because obviously they're familiar with each other, they've worked with this company before. They're the group that helped them kind of firm things up in terms of building Harbor Center downtown in Buffalo. And also the Pagula Ice Arena over at Penn State University. In their statement, she says the quote-unquote fan experience will be the study's top priority. We have the, she goes on, we have the utmost confidence that CAA Icon's unparalleled experience will help ensure that our venues achieve the highest standards. Remember when we had Meet VP on? Mm -hmm. Season ticket holder of the Falcons? Mm Mm-hmm. And he 
was not alone in our judgment from watching the Falcons-Bills game on TV that this quote-unquote fan experience is taking away people out of the seats. Well, and it's distracting. And there's something there that sticks out to me. When she says highest standards, that worries me a little bit. I mean, look around the NFL. L.A. is building what is supposed to be football mecca for over $2 billion and change. I think it's closer to $5 billion. Jesus. Well, and I can understand how that happens. I mean, look at this. Jerry World out in Arlington. It was originally slated to cost $650 million, and by the time it was done, there was over $1.5 billion invested in it. And you take, take a look at this. I mean, those are some of the, the most luxurious stadiums in the country. You take a look at a place like U.S. Bank Stadium where the Vikings play. It was, it was just, just opened this year. It's light on the kind of top-end frills that you see at places like Mercedes-Benz Dome with its ridiculous retracting shutter-style roof. Or, you know, obviously all of the bells and whistles that this Los Angeles stadium is going to have. And even that cost over a billion dollars. It's almost impossible at this day and age to get a stadium built for less than that. And as we've talked about here on the podcast before, Bill's owners Terry and Kim Pagula, while obviously being rich, I mean, I think they're still in the top 10 for wealthiest NFL owners, they've taken on a lot of new debt. I mean, you think about it, the Wilson family bought the team. I think Wilson bought it for, what, $50,000? Something like that. Thirty-five, dollars $50,000. And the team was worth millions. Millions and millions. Billions is a franchise. But he didn't have a ton of lingering debt because he bought the team for so little and its valuation increased. They bought it, the Pugulas did, at the highest point of its value and since then have taken on a lot of debt associated with that transaction. So they they themselves don't have the money to just say, okay, I'm going to lay down a billion dollars for a brand new stadium, which means they have to do these studies and they have to kind of kick the numbers around as far as where this money is going to come from and what makes sense. Much of that may very well get passed on to taxpayers and fans. This is an excerpt from a press conference from Mark Polencars, Erie County executive. Uh, the, the issue is what's the long-term viability of the stadium. We know the stadium still has life. Uh, we also know it's very expensive to build a new stadium. The Bills know that. And so uh, if, if we're going to be moving forward to the new stadium, this is not something that's going to come very cheap, and the people need to understand this is going to cost. It could potentially cost the season ticket holders through a, a personal seat license. That's almost all. All new stadiums are being partially subsidized by personal seat licenses, which means if you want to buy a season ticket, you've got to spend thousands of dollars to get the PSL before you can even buy a season ticket. That's a discussion. I think the Bills want to know if that's possible in this market. Right now, I, I know the former administration did not think it was possible uh, or even sell a substantial amount of personal seat licenses, because they didn't, so they didn't move in that direction. I think this administration wants to determine if PSLs are, are, are an actual reality. Because if they are, then maybe that changes their viewpoint that, okay, we could fund a new stadium by charging the season ticket holders through personal seat licenses. If they come back and they say, no, we can't do PSLs in this market, then they'll say, maybe it doesn't make sense to build a new stadium. We'll just stay where we are. Mark Polencars from uh, WBEN. So... When you're listening to this, there's a lot to that, and some of it, a lot of it may seem like stuff you've heard before. PSLs, we all know what they are. We're very familiar with them at this day and age. But the thing that jumped out to me about that quote right there, the knowledge that the Wilson family, prior to the latest lease agreement, at least considered PSLs. 
And the research showed them that it wouldn't work here given the local economy. I took a look back at the different census results and numbers over the course of the last decade and some change. This is essentially at the time when that was going on. You take a look at from 2007 to 2011, the average, the median household income here in Buffalo was $31,668 a year. We're on the low end if you're talking about household income across the country. I blame that number on North Collins. <laughs> and then when you take a look at what we're currently doing, from 2012 to 2016, the last time I could find accurate numbers, that number's only increased to $32,883 a year. And there is still a 31% poverty rate in the city of Buffalo. Now, Erie County as a whole, different areas may have different income levels and different, but if you're talking about the city of Buffalo, I mean, we talk a lot about how we're making a rebound as a city, but as of today, it doesn't look like a whole lot's changed since the last time a group had to take a look at the economics of where the majority of their fan base hail from, and of course, the season ticket holders, and the people who are buying seats at the stadium on a regular basis, where the majority of them come from. Really not a whole, I mean, if you adjust for inflation, really not a whole lot has changed. So Chris, with that in mind, I guess you got to try to figure out if if tickets are going to go up and they, you're going to have to pay for PSLs, ticket prices themselves are going to increase with a new stadium. That's point blank and period. That's something we're all going to have to understand. But it doesn't sound like the financial picture has changed. What would have to happen with the team, Chris, to justify... I mean, I guess that's what it is, is what matters to fans? Would fans be okay with PSLs? That's I'm, the question. I'm not okay with a PSL. Would you rather buy a PSL or have the team not located in Buffalo anymore, if those were your two options? Then there would be, I mean, I would be out, but uh, then do PSLs. I wouldn't buy one. Okay, so if, so you would not, so you wouldn't re-up your season tickets with us if a private seat license was something that was necessary? I mean, you'd have to give me a number, but if it's... So for our section, our, our season tickets are less than $400 a year. I mean, that'll probably increase going forward, but we're right around $400. I, let's say it's $2,500 up front and then $400 a year after that. Mm, I don't know. I probably have to start <laughs> saving if I want that. That's, that's not an out-of-this-world price. But based on your uh, numbers for the economy in uh, Buffalo and income for uh, families, uh, twenty five hundred up front. I know, I know people who have flat out told me that they can't afford more than a thousand to fifteen hundred dollars for a seat for a seat license. What that does is that reduces the number of people who are capable of buying season tickets at that point, well, which hurts you as a franchise. Well, you'd have to think Dan would be out. Dan's married with two kids that we have seasons with. Married with two children. He's already said if it were to be if if that were to become an issue, he'd have to take a real hard look at it. Well, I would Potter, tell him to consider is, divorce. Uh, one, one, of the, <laughs> one of the other people, yeah, because it's going so well for you, Chris. It's going so well for you. Oh, it is. So on the other side, I've got my friend Potter, who, I mean, he's what? He's a single guy. He's 33 years old. He makes a decent he makes a decent living. He's right there on par with what the average you know, median income for the area is. At the same time, you go to him with your handout asking for $2,500. I don't know what the answer is going to be. He said, he, much like you, he'd have to take a real hard look at it. Me personally, I know that I, I have a sickness. I, I can't give this up now. I'm too, I'm too invested. 
and I would find a way to drum up the twenty, the, the cash necessary to make sure that my ass was in that seat every weekend. Right, divorce. But I would absolutely understand that there's a lot of people here in the Buffalo area who can't float that. I mean, this is going to be a very long process, but it's just it's interesting to me just to watch the finances of this as we move forward. I mean, Chris, in the last few years, three teams have relocated. Oakland. I mean, why the Raiders ever went back to Oakland in the first place was, I, I just don't understand it. Like, you went to L.A., then you came back to Oakland. Now you're moving to Vegas. Why? Money. Money talks. Publicly subsidized stadiums. I, the, listen, money talks and bullshit walks. L.A. took a team. San Diego lost their team to L.A., and now they're going to have to play in a market that doesn't really want them there. Yeah, and how did we not lose our team in all of this? Yeah, somebody moved from St. Louis to L.A., San Diego to L.A., Oakland to Las Vegas. How was Buffalo not one of those teams? Well, and the scary thing is, is that as these teams, as these cities who clearly had a market to support a team previously left over public money, you have to wonder how many of these cities might be willing to reopen up the checkbook when they realize, hey, we really do want an NFL team back in this market. So, I don't know. I just thought, for my own purposes, I thought that that was something interesting to bring to the podcast. Now, in more player news, actual team tangible news, center Russ Bodine is going to the IR, and the injuries are just piling up for the Buffalo Bills in the front. (laughs) Early on in the game, Russ Bodine goes down with an injury that reminded me a lot of Eric Woods. I mean, I I said that. Which one? The, his very first one against the Jacksonville yeah. Jaguars, where he just got, I mean, thank God it wasn't as horrific, yeah. but he gets rolled up on from behind by a defensive lineman. He has no, he doesn't see it coming. He's completely suckered by it. And you see him immediately grab his, grab at his lower leg. You know, there was a part of me that was hoping it was just an ankle sprain, but he's apparently fr- he'd broken his fibula. One of the, uh, almost not quite the, you know, the Alex Smith injury, but. Oh, tip fib. But enough to end his season. So now I'm taking a look at this and realizing what a terrible, terrible series of events this is for Josh Allen. Think about it, Chris. Our offensive line is already bad in front of him and has been all season. And the shallower we get, the more likely you're going to see Josh Allen running for his life. Right now you look at our depth chart at center position. Who do we have? We've got Groy, and they could slide in maybe another guard. But right now, Groy's it. I mean... Groy's it. And then you look at the just the interior of the D offensive line. You've got John Miller who's out with that abdominal strain. That, for an offensive lineman, somebody who has to anchor and has to use their weight and leverage, an abdominal injury like that, I, I, I don't know if we'll see him anytime soon. They put in Jeremiah Searles this weekend who did not do, he did not do well. I can say that. They've got Vlad Dukas, you know, who's, who hasn't done well all season. That's why he's riding pine behind guys we've never heard of before. You've got Dukas, you've got Teller, who's a rookie, and, Chris, and then some guy named Ike Bodiger, who's actually only seen action in one NFL game in his entire career. Hey, I don't know who that is. Nor should you. So that's the point. This injury, I mean, we are really getting depleted up front, and there is, there's no experience to death, and that's terrifying to me. It really is. We're dangerously thin on experience. And then, Chris, what do you think? I'm assuming that at some point this week we're going to hear an announcement. I mean, it's Monday. This is far earlier than we normally do our podcast. So I usually have more news on these types of things. 
I would not be shocked to see them go out and start trying out every veteran they can get, or at least a handful of veterans, just to see if there's somebody with center experience who can come in here and back up Groy. Yeah, they'll have that uh, tomorrow. Tuesday's usually the uh, workout day around the NFL because everybody's generally off on Tuesday, so they bring in guys for workouts. And uh, I'm not going to be surprised if we see that on Twitter tomorrow. Somebody's in at center for a workout. It's it's just it's scary to me considering how much of Josh Allen's development is based around the guy. I mean, he can't do it alone. You can't block. You can't throw the football and block for yourself at the same time. Yeah, and I think then you if, end up running to your left, then to your right, then back to your <laughs> left, and then back to your right, and then you throw to a guy wide open in the end zone. And, uh, all right, Chris. All you right. want to get it out? Let's get it out. Let's do this. The week thirteen recap. Buffalo Bills 21, Bills, I mean, excuse me, Dolphins 21, Buffalo Bills 17. As always, we lead this off with the stats of the game. Quarterback Josh Allen, 18 to 33, good for 54.5%, 231 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions, with a long pass of 38 yards, a 71.7 rating, and nine rushes for 135 yards. Quarterback Ryan Tannehill. 16-24 for 66%, 137 yards and three touchdowns, one interception, and a long pass of 18 yards. Total yardage gained. Buffalo had 415, Miami 175. Buffalo Bills defense, 2.6 yards per carry allowed, three sacks, one interception, 22% third down conversion percentage allowed. 15 total firsts allowed in the entire game. Penalties. Buffalo had 13 for 120 yards, seven of them coming on offense, four of them pre-snaps, and five total penalties that were automatic first downs. Meanwhile, Miami had eight for 89 yards. The total for the game was 21 penalties for 209 yards, which is the high for Week 13. By comparison, the Week 13 low, shocker, the the New England Patriots playing the Minnesota Vikings in which there were 12 total flags thrown and just 115 yards. Chris, are you surprised by that? Uh, Well, I mean, Ed Hockley Jr. can't call two games. And the combined cap figures of our highest paid players. Kelvin Benjamin, $8.459 million. LaShawn McCoy. 8.95 8.95 million. Charles Clay, $9 million for a total of $26,409. Their combined stat line 15 rushes, 9 targets, 7 catches, 93 combined yards, no touchdowns, one first down, <laughs> three first downs, one lazy ass route that resulted in an interception, and one dropped game winning touchdown pass. $26.4 million, Chris. I don't even know where to start with this one. I mean, since we're on the topic, let's talk about the offense, Chris. First of all, offensive line and skill players, I don't know how, I mean, we were in this game till the very end, and it was despite some of the highest paid players on this team. That's incredible to me. Yeah, Zay Jones played really well. Josh Allen, obviously, if you're not sold on... Josh Allen after that game, then fuck you. <laughs> I mean, you you take a look at it. First of all, 
Let's start up front where most problems do start. The Bills' offensive line. They did this team no favors. Jeremiah Searles, as I just got done talking about, in for the injured John Miller. He gave up six quarterback hurries as a guard and one quarterback hit. So that's immediate pressure coming from the A-gap directly in a quarterback's face. That's good. That's that's wonderful. Thanks, Jeremiah. Fuck. <laughs> Calm got, down. And then you get Deion Dawkins. Deion Dawkins was a little bit better, but he gave up a quarterback hurry and a sack on the second-to-last drive when we were trying to get down there and you know try to get down there and score. You can't have your left tackle giving a place like that. And what your last three possessions when everything's on the line, and then Groy. Groy was pretty serviceable after the injury to Bodine, but he was pushed into the backfield constantly, which is part of the reason you saw Josh Allen leaving the pocket kind of roaming around, or sometimes just taking off running altogether. Because, he would, again, A-gap pressure directly in the face of a young quarterback. What do you think he's going to do, Chris? He's not going to stand there. He's going to run like a friggin' gazelle. <laughs> Before his injury, he was what? What, 21 sacks, I think we said last week? He had 21 sacks before his injury. <laughs> he was getting pummeled. And so what that tends to do is that when you have immediate pressure right in a quarterback's face as a young kid, Yes, there are going to be times when he can stand in the pocket and deliver a ball. But there's going to be a lot more times where he just says, fuck this, I'm out. <laughs> he just takes off. Thank God for us that he's the athlete that he is, but that's still not how you want to run your offense. And then the skill position players. Chris, as I just outlined, you are paying almost $25 million for no production. None. I mean, Charles Clay had one catch the entire game for nine yards. And then when he had a chance to earn that $9 million paycheck, he drops the ball. It's, it's incredible to me how poorly, how poorly, they, to know that the guys who, who you're, when you, when you write that kind of a check for a player, Chris, you expect a certain level of return on your investment. Right now, the Buffalo Bills might be getting the NFL's worst return on investment on the offensive side of the ball. We have the end of Chris, those three players, the ones I just talked about, your Kelvin Benjamin, your Charles Clay, and your LaShawn McCoy, the three of them combined make almost four times what our offensive line as a group is being paid right now. If I'm Jared Pagula, Tuesday, tomorrow, when the players get paid, I would have a Brinks truck bring him his, whatever his game check in is in all nickels. <laughs> That'd be millions of nickels. <laughs> Buffalo would be sold out of nickels. Every bank, M and T, <laughs> Northwestern, Key Bank. Where are the, where are the nickels? Uh. Oh, Charles Clay has all of them. Charles Clay has all of them. I'm sorry, <laughs> folks. I mean, this is the, the it, it's disappointing and it sucks because we're trying to watch a young guy. We're trying to watch a young guy improve over here, and one of the things that doesn't help is when you've got all these bloated contracts and guys who just aren't earning their keep. Nothing infuriates me more than players who get the, who are getting those paychecks being paid like they're supposed to be leaders and elite players on this team. You've got a tight end who's making top 10 tight end money and he can't make a catch. That I think they're, Nick O'Leary, with no gloves on, could have made that catch. Baby Hands O'Leary could have caught that ball in his sleep. And yet you, a top 10 tight end as far as salary goes, can't make a play when you're counted on. I mean, I'm sorry. It goes back to what I said a couple of weeks ago with that analogy. 
Like, Clay is not an ingredient that Dable wants in this offense. That's why he's not being used. The same thing goes for Calvin Benjamin. Or, yeah, Calvin Benjamin. I saw that he was, I think he had uh, 40% of the snaps against Jacksonville, and then yesterday he had 60% of the snaps. Well, yeah, because they... Less is more. <laughs> less is more. Less is more, folks. Speaking of less is more, the flags! I swear to God, there was at one point... How's I your had, hand? Oh, my hand is not well. Folks, I can't I can't close my right fist. I actually think... I, I don't think I broke it because it would hurt more than that. It would hurt a lot more than it currently does. But I can't close my fist. Reason being is because the NFL... Well, the, uh, the NFL caliber, quote-unquote, referees who uh, Ed Hockley Jr. and his crew, who called the game yesterday, proceeded to throw a pass interference flag on Matt Milano as he's covering tight end Mike Kosicki down the field. The ball is in the air. Both of them are jockeying for position, and yet the flag gets thrown. When the ball is in the air, both the defensive and offensive players have every right to that ball. That is the rule. That's how the NFL is supposed to be officiated. And so when they threw that ridiculous horseshit flag, I involuntarily clenched my fist and slammed it into the wood base of my stairs that I was sitting on so hard that I think it scared my friend Mark's girlfriend. I know my dogs ran into the other room and hid. And now I can't make a fist. So thanks a lot, Ed Hockley, you jerk. You, I mean, I swear to God, this, the Hockley family needs to be chemically sterilized. Okay? I've had it. They're like the O'Doyle family from Billy Madison. I'm sick and tired of this nonsense. His father was an overjudicious ass. Tried to, every game had to be the Ed Hockley show. I'm going to show you how many times I can get on TV. And his kid's the same way. You heard me. You heard me throughout the course of the last few years on this podcast. Year over year, break down Ed Hockley's stats as an official and prove statistically that he over-officiates or at least throws more flags than any other crew in the NFL. Last year when we did that, you did that study, I think it was last year, and I think it, you said it came out to a whole football field. Every team in football last year would have gotten an extra football field's worth of penalties against them if Ed Hockley had, had refed every game for the entire season. It's a joke. And then you look at the quality of the calls. Here's what I'll say. Against, against Jacksonville, the Bills took a lot of penalties. And you can blame a lot of that on sloppy play. And there was just flags everywhere during that game. But it was even, like, there, was, there wasn't such a disparity between the quality of the calls. Everybody who tells me, oh, well, that's a loser mentality, you know, bitching about the officiating. When we take a roughing the passer call on the very first possession of the game, and then later in the game, you see Kyle Williams, who had a chance to drill Tannehill. Didn't. Remember that, Chris? He just kind of put his arms out and fell past him. Yeah, he like he like <laughs> ran into him, like shouldered him, and was like going down, but still had enough time to, to move so he didn't land on Tannehill. Because God forbid you touch the quarterback or else you're going to get a flag. But on the opposite side of the field, I've got guys coming through. And literally, for those of you out there who watch wrestling, the clothesline for the, the, the Bradshaw. Clothesline from just hell. Just clothesline from hell, grabbing that's our quarterback legal. by the back of the helmet. Apparently, that's legal. It's incredible to me. It's incredible to me. how some, No pass interference calls, Chris, on those last two drives of the game where our wide receivers are getting mugged trying to catch these balls in the air. And there's no calls. Not a holding call, not an illegal contact call. It's incredible to me watching something like that. And yet there's no call. 
Yeah. What, what there's was, no call after the fact to say, look, these referees need to be roped in. There needs to be something said by the, you know, the, the, the officiating committee. Yeah, correct me if I'm wrong, but the clothesline from hell uh, was on third down. So it's a sack, and it became was it the fourth? It became fourth and eleven. Yes, it changes your options. If you get that call, now it's first and ten. You're closer to the end zone. You got more selection in the playbook to use, and we had ended up going for it right on no, fourth yeah. and eleven. There, we I did. forget it was it was a blur with Drew yelling and everybody and. <laughs> I, I and lose, I lose some, track of when this stuff And yet stuff for happens. some reason, folks, everyone keeps showing up at my house on game days. I don't know what it is. App- apparently, people enjoy the Drew Gear show. It's like watching a car accident. Like, you <laughs> slow down when you go by a car accident. Everybody does it. People. Like, I just, I just, like, sit back and, like, wait. Like, I watch a play, and then I'll go, oh, he's, he's going to say something. He's going <laughs> to, I just sit, I don't say anything. He just. Uh, then you go, oh, yeah, he said it. My friend Mark's girlfriend, it. <laughs> it, was her first, it was her first experience watching a game with me. And this was the perfect game because when it was over, she looks at me and goes, you know, you should be recording this. I was like, oh, no. yeah. I go, oh, yeah, we have. Oh, it's happened. It's happened. <sighs> there, was a, there, there were a couple silver linings to this game. Okay? There was a couple. First of all, we start on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, Chris, this defense that we're watching is incredible. These guys are really starting to come into their own. I mean, look at Matt Milano. Eight tackles, two tackles for a loss. Lawson. You, Shaq Lawson, who the last two years, since being drafted as a 19th overall pick, has been a non-factor on a lot of these teams. And all of a sudden, this year, he's turning it on. You're, you're seeing him getting involved and in making plays. It's I like it. I like what we're seeing out of him. Set, setting the edge with authority. Then you've got Lorenzo Alexander. That spin move that he put on their guard for that sack, it was like a Madden play. I think he's at six and a half on the year. No, Lorenzo is having an all-star season here, and he he looks more like he's still... I mean, he's looking like a guy who's still in his prime. I don't know if it's just maybe he feels a little more energized being around young guys like Tremaine Edmonds and Matt Milano. I mean, Milano's incredible. We are seeing a guy in his second year really take leaps and bounds ahead of where he was last year. And where he was last year was pretty good. And Edmonds is really starting to round out, too. The, you're seeing him get the nuances of defense. There's the play, Chris. I think it's third down where he's he, it's a blitz call. It's a delayed blitz in the A-gap. And he, Tremaine Edmonds rushes. He's bringing pressure. And he realizes that Tannehill's about to release the ball. And he's not going to get there. So instead of continuing to just push against the offensive lineman, he drops back a step and just jumps and times his jump and swats the ball down. I mean, Chris, those are the types of plays. Beautiful. Those are the types of plays that coming into coming into the NFL, if you read anything about his scouting reports, it was that he was a freak of an athlete, but his understanding of the game was going to take some time to really piece together, and we're watching it happen in front of us. It's incredible, and I love it. Think about... Because they, Jerry Hughes, Jerry <laughs> Hughes was double teamed six times in this game in passing situations. And while he couldn't get home, he still drew that attention and allowed the other guys like Lawson and Murphy to step up and make plays. Yeah, Murphy almost had a safety. It's, it's incredible how well this defense, just as a whole, the secondary is still being the secondary. The, the linebacking core is coming into its own as a bunch of young playmakers in the NFL. 
Lorenzo Alexander's anchoring the whole thing with his run-stopping ability and the fact that he still has some chops as a pass rusher. I almost feel like he's more comfortable in the defense this year from where he was last season. You know, he had to learn how to get back into the 3-4. Th- excuse me, 4-3. And he was kind of a liability in coverage. But when he made that switch and finally started to understand it this year, he's right back to being a premier part of this defense. But Jerry Hughes, Jerry Hughes leading the team in sacks, probably one of the most effective players on the field most days, drawing double teams, taking away, and you know, he's doing that with authority. Not only that, but he's also willing to take on the entire referee crew after the game when one of them reportedly called him a bitch when he carped about the way they officiated themselves today. Obviously, (laughs) who was the handle who produced that, Chris? Oh, that was at uh, John Scott TV from Spectrum News in Buffalo. So now, when things like this get captured on tape, and there's a player clearly trying his best to restrain Jerry Hughes from going after an officiating group who he's threatening to catch them outside. Those things tend to go viral, which is why it's hysterical that he's, you see this, you hear it. I saw it with my own two eyes. This was his reaction after the game. So Jerry, you don't have a reaction to what transpired when you came off the field and went up to the officials? No. What? What caused the, the anger? I mean, Obviously, what's anger? Who was angry? Yours. I was angry? That's, what, that's the report. Yeah. I mean, I lost the game, so I'm supposed to be angry. We just played our butts off for four quarters, and we came six inches short of winning the football game. So I think myself with uh, a lot of Buffalo Bills fans are probably upset right now. I mean, that's just the nature of, the, of playing sports. Someone's going to win, someone's going to lose. That's true, but we don't usually see those types of reactions, you know, going after an official after a game. What something? What sparks that Who did? unique you, you? I did. Yeah. I did what? We saw you go up to the official. What did I say? If I did go up to the official, what did I say? I have video that shows you okay. saying that, I would love to that see he the video. called him. You were referencing he called you. Yeah, I would love to see the video. So and, that did not happen that way? I would love to see the video. I mean, you were, you were obviously about, you're saying that did not happen. Right, and I said I would love to see the video. Jerry Hughes, post-game press conference after yelling at a ref, totally denies it. It's like a Bill Clinton trial. <laughs> Define the word is. Well, I don't know if you, if you saw this. This came out maybe two hours ago. Remember that incident against the Redskins where Trent Williams said that the ref, like, called him the N-word? Yeah. It was that ref. <laughs> it was that ref. Here's the articles right here, if you want to look, look on the screen here. Oh, Jesus. At Pro Football Talk, Jerry Hughes. Go back up. Yeah. Incident with the ref, with the, with the ref was uh, previously suspended for swearing at Trent Williams. So, Jerry Hughes might have a point here. Jesus. This guy might get fired. Somebody from Hockey League's staff... Could get fired. Fired. They should all be rounded up. Like I said, like the O'Doyle family, rounded up into the back of a wood, a woody wagon SUV and driven into a canyon. Okay? But with that said, guys, we are seeing... I mean, this might be one of the best defenses we've gotten to watch in a Bills uniform in the last decade. Young linebackers, defensive lines chipping in. And I think the encouraging sign is that you look at the overall age of the guys on defense, Chris, and besides Lorenzo Alexander, these guys are relatively young still. You've got a pair of safeties who might be two of the best in in the AFC right now. 
who are in their prime still. You've got a young star in Tredavious White, even though he didn't make, somehow did not make ESPN's list of 25 players, top 25 under 25, which is fucking egregious. But you've got a young star cornerback. You've got a, a developing slot corner who is quietly having one of the better coverage seasons in the NFL. And he's doing it injured in Teron Johnson. You've got two young linebackers who are growing into their roles as three-down starters. You've got a defensive line that's gelling with players who are all in their prime right now. Chris, this is this is a great thing for the Bills moving forward. And if they can continue... Yeah, until you have to pay them. We don't have to worry about that next year. And that's no. my point. Is As this goes on for the next few weeks, no, we're not going to be in the playoffs. But this is going to be... Because if they can maintain the core of what's happening here and flesh out the last few holes they have, we could be looking at a, an elite unit in 2019. And then... For all of the struggles of everybody else on the offensive side of the ball, there's one guy who tied the entire game together. And it's one of the last people that I would ever expect it to come from. Josh Allen. I want to give you the observations of someone who hated the draft pick. I mean, guys, for those of you who are longtime listeners or maybe you're new this season, it's become a part of the our podcast lore. The pick of Josh Allen at number eight for the Buffalo Bills left me nude and drunk at 2 o'clock in the morning at a Jamaican resort. I had a beer in each hand, and I'm, I'm yelling at my wife from the balcony of our suite about how pants don't matter, whatever Jamaica's policy on indecent exposure, that doesn't matter. I don't give a damn about that. Literally nothing in life mattered anymore because Josh Allen was the Buffalo Bills quarterback. I think, I think one of the... Because I, I follow hockey way more than I follow football. Like, when we drafted Sam Reinhart, I did not think he would be the guy to be in front of the net on power plays for tippins and working around the net. I did not see that coming for Reinhardt. With Josh Allen, I did not see him running the goddamn football so well be a part of his arsenal. No. I was so focused on his cannon for an arm that I for. He's, a one he's, an hell, athlete. he's one hell of an athlete for having that ability to run. That, as somebody who didn't like the pick, didn't like him here, I watched that game yesterday and I saw him through. I mean, I got a taste of it in the Jacksonville game. That was the first time I had truly positive things to say about him. I watched yesterday's game. I keep saying Sunday. It actually was yesterday. It's awesome. <laughs> through just a different lens. Because I watched this kid who I've watched bumble his way through through so many games previously. Grow up. Just become, like, you're seeing the flashes of it, Chris. The big playability. 15 yards per carry on nine attempts. He was second in the NFL for rushing, ahead of Todd Gurley, ahead of Saquon Barkley, ahead of Christian McCaffrey. And when you look at his yards per attempt through the air, he finished above... Ben Roethlisberger, Jared Goff, and Matt Ryan. That's, he has the ability to make, then you look at the plays that didn't get made. The ones that aren't his fault. The 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 clay drop. That's, yeah. a, that's a play that I think if you're, if you had told me that we were coming in with two undrafted free agent tight ends for this Buffalo Bills team, I'd say, okay, I can see how one of them might drop a game-winning pass where your quarterback is literally just playing playground football, just running around. Get that, get, 
get the hell away from me. Fuck you, don't touch me. Running around, keeping his eyes downfield, waiting for somebody to make a play. And he trusts a guy who's top 10 in money for his position, and he can't come through for him. But again, the play was there to be made. He's facilitating the play. And that's all you can ask of him, right? Yeah, there's there's two parts to that. You got you have the throw and and the ability to make the catch. Josh Allen had to run all over the goddamn field to get away from linemen chasing him, and by that time, out of breath, and so, hurled his, his what he his best ball towards the end, and nobody was even around. Obscure Chuck Clay. stat of his entire performance. When you factor in his rushing and then his scrambling around trying to just buy time, he actually covered 812 yards of field. Just ran for 812 total yards on the over the course of the game, just around. Chris, that's insanity. It's going to help next year when we draft a, a <laughs> lineman or sign a lineman, maybe a guard, and he gets an extra second and a half to plant his feet and drive, drive, climb the pocket, and pass instead of run. Because it looks like a lot of the runs that he had made were just, I got to get the hell out of here. Well, yeah. And then especially that hilarious one where he's running behind Kiko Alonso. Right after Kiko gets done flexing in the end zone like an asshole, there's Allen running behind him. Just, nope, nope. All I could think of was uh, Family Guy and the, uh, the greased-up deaf guy. You're never going to catch me. Better luck next year. He's just... Kiko can't even locate him, much less tackle him, because he's a bum. Yeah, Kiko's still chasing him right now. (laughs) Right now, he's still chasing him. Now, that's not to say he didn't have some... We didn't see some flaws. His decision-making. He still looks like a rookie in that aspect. I mean, you think about... He missed McKenzie wide open and opted to throw farther down the field to try to get Zay Jones. Now, that's it. Uh, that's where he needs to learn as a quarterback. That's that's one of the things he's going to have to learn in this, you know, as this season progresses and into the offseason, that you have to be trying to take what... Sometimes you just have... The big play isn't there. So you got to take what they're willing to give you on defense. And if that's a, a seven- or eight-yard pass to an Isaiah McKenzie who's wide open versus a 15-yard pass that you think you can make to a covered Zay Jones... You gotta learn how to take what's open and available. And maybe that's a vision issue. Maybe you just didn't see him. That's something he's gonna have to work on. But when you look at as a whole what he put together, I mean that Zay Jones touchdown pass, that was a thing of beauty. That's not a pass I thought he had in his arsenal at this point. I think Eric Turner from Cover One uh tweeted out the uh, all twenty two on that. And the uh the line right up the middle was getting pushed back in his face and he couldn't Set his feet and throw. He just, that was like all core and hip. And it was amazing. It was amazing. And then he had one interception. Okay, He threw two, but one of them, I'll say one pick that mattered. That's a badly thrown ball and also a terrible decision. I mean, first of all, we all know Kelvin Benjamin's a lazy route runner. You know, after the game, McDermott flat out said, you know, we got to trim some of the fat off that route on the interception. He doesn't make a clean cut. And easily lets the cornerback undercut the route. So, Josh Allen, you need to see that. You need to see that the cornerback jump the route and not throw that ball. But I think he just he wanted to make the play, and so he let it rip. And it gets picked off by Micah Fitzpatrick, who is a jack-of-all-trades and a very talented player for that defense. 
it's just, I think I'm more depressed with Kelvin's lack of effort in these games. But at the same time, he has to know that and he's got to stop trusting Kelvin to do his job. He's got to find other guys who are willing to go out there and execute. But ultimately, he walks away from this game looking like he has, quote unquote, it. Yep. And that's what makes him this week's hero of the game. Here's the deal. I'm the best there is, plain and simple. I mean, I wake up in the morning, I piss excellence. I mean, Chris, the man covered 812 actual physical yards of the field. That's more than any, probably anybody else in the NFL and definitely anybody else playing in Hard Rock Stadium on Sunday. He did whatever was necessary to keep our team in that game. It didn't matter if it was his arm, with his legs. We, Chris, if we start Matt Barkley, if we start Nathan Peterman, if we start Derek Anderson, are we in that game at all? Well, if we start Nathan Peterman, you know, Calvin Benjamin will actually run routes because that's his quarterback. I mean, ultimately, the, the, under, the thing that I think really stood out to me, Chris, when you really get down to brass tacks, this is a game that we just got done grilling the officials for. Just talking about how they marred the entire game, right? Correct. He's getting hit in the legs from behind. He's getting hit. He's getting horse collared. He's getting Close clotheslined. Line. And you see him turn to the officials. And I, th- I fell in love with the moment in the first half when he gets hit in the knees and he gets up and starts talking to the official and the official tries to walk away from him and Allen moves to get back in front of him. And starts yelling. And you can you read his lips. He goes, that's fucking bullshit. <laughs> bullshit. Surprised he didn't get a flag. And walks away. And it's like, you know what? That And Chris, it didn't discourage him. That's the thing that stood out to me. Knowing you're in a game where the deck is, the, the, the deck is being stacked against you. The officials are calling some, not calling some egregious shit. They're letting pass interference go. You're getting your ass kicked back there. And instead of being discouraged and just crumbling in the moment, you decide you're going to dig a little bit deeper. I think it made him more aggressive. I, I don't know. I, Chris, I got to say it. This is the, I walked away from this game, like a lot of other fans did, just impressed. Still impressed with the kid. I love it. He has guts, and I like that. And in the words of the immortal Bear Bryant, former legendary Alabama football coach, there is no substitute for guts. Someone who doesn't have any. Our zero of the week, tight end Charles Clay. Hey, if you want me to take a dump in a box and mark it guaranteed, I will. Here's what I'll guarantee you, Charles Clay. If you continue to drop footballs, if you continue to be an absolute non-factor in the game, you will not be here next season. Chris, we can save $10.5 million in cap, $10.9 million in cap room. If we were to, you know, Kelvin Benjamin's not going to be back next season. We all know that. It's one of the worst kept secrets on the team. LaShawn McCoy and Charles Clay, if they can't find a way to turn things around, the team can easily save $10.9 million in cap space. Roughly about four and a half coming from Clay's contract. What's the dead money? The dead money on a $9 million cap hit, if we keep him, the dead money is only like four and a half. So we would gain four and a half million in cap room. I'm sorry, if you're being paid top 10 money and you can't bring me top 35 production for tight ends, you're a horse's ass and I don't want you here. And that's why you're this week's zero of the week. Not just because you dropped the ball, but because you dropped the ball figuratively all season. 
all season in one of the most important years where we're looking for veteran players to step up and help these young guys grow, especially our quarterback at the most important position on the team. You give me nothing. You give me nothing. And yet I see that $9 million and it makes me sick. Dump in a box. No, we'll just put Charles Clay in a box. They're the same thing. <laughs> oh, but with that, as we do after every loss, folks, we try to keep we try to remind Bills fans out there, there are people who have it worse. You are one pathetic loser. Off the top, we're gonna keep it local here. Mike Shope from WGR550. Wow. The the public backlash. I mean, folks. I stopped listening to WGR probably about two months ago. I just stopped. I listen a little bit on Saturday mornings when I'm driving around. If I'm, you know, I'm obviously that's what Nate Geary's on. Now that I'm a homeowner, I'm at Home Depot. I looked at my credit card statement the other day. I've been to Home Depot since I bought my house at least once a week. It's usually Saturday mornings, so I've got it on. And I listen to Tony Caligiri talk about high school sports. He usually has Carl Curris. Uh, he runs the Trench Trophy here locally. You know. Offensive, defensive lineman. They give the best player, trench player in Western New York. Their show is great. You know, you get to hear a little bit about high school football, which is high school sports in general, which is, it's interesting. And then Sal comes out, Sal Capaccio and Nate Geary. They do a great job with Sports Talk Saturday. They really do. They cover all kinds of different topics. When Sal's on, it's a little more football centric, but I just like what he brings to the table. Outside of that, I can't listen to any of these boobs. I can't. The morning, my drives to and from work have gotten so much better since I stopped listening. Mostly because my take on this is that both Jeremy White and Howard Simon in the morning, Mike Shope and uh, Chris Parker in the afternoon, I, I don't know if it's burnout or what you want to call it, but you're talking about groups of people who. There's no prep. I get it. I do this once a week. Content creation is not easy. It's not. But what I'm getting is just a real lack of effort from these guys to come up with something fresh, to come up with something new, some interesting content to talk about. And so instead, their calls become more and more gen- more and more focused on either non-sports-related topics or I think the cardinal sin of all radio. They have to take calls from under-informed callers in order to fuel the show and give them something to talk about. But Mike Shope has recently, I think in the last year or two, really turned into what Jerry Sullivan was over the course of the last few years of his career over there with the Buffalo News. He's condescending towards fans, and it seems like he really struck a nerve this weekend with all of his criticism of Josh Allen. And the fans today and last night on social media are just absolutely roasting him. Chris, a review of our Twitter feed a quick review. I, I made a montage of them and tweeted them out this morning because I was just blown away. Oh yeah, I saw I saw the uh, the photos that you tweeted out. You know, we're just doing our part to help those that uh, feel that I believe Chopin the Bulldog and the Morning Show Howard and Jeremy have at least been with WGR for the last fifteen years. So everything kind of gets repetitive and mundane at that point. So I mean, I want to read some of these tweets. Kelvin Benjamin, Charles Clay, from at That's Verified. Kelvin Benjamin, Charles Clay, and Jeremy White. Top three worst things Buffalo fans have to deal with. Go Bills. I, 
someone named uh, do, 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 do. let's see here Alex 78 MK I listened to the first two minutes of the post game and turned it immediately Shope and the Bulldog are terrible it's like listening to Alex Jones talk football well we've had that reference before someone said that to you about <laughs> my friend Steve my friend Steve from elementary school said that about you with your rant after the Houston game at beer regular on Twitter says I'm not surprised especially in Mike Shope's case Obviously, to somebody else's tweet. I've never seen a more arrogant, know-it-all punk of a sports show host in my life. He treats callers like dirt. Cannot tell you how many times I've turned that show off because of him. This is them talking about the post-game show. When you have a personality who's turning off the fan base to that degree. I mean, guys, go go check out at Report on Twitter right now. I have a montage of all these tweets up here. It's terrible. People... People are really, the vitriol that he's drawn, it's incredible. I don't understand. I mean, I don't know what his contract is, but I would think anybody that loves sports, like as much as you do, as much as I do, that you got paid a living to talk sports, and you come on the microphone and you sound like you hate your job. Well, that's it. I don't don't get it. No, I do get it. Like I said, I compared him to Jerry Sullivan, and here's what I'll say. I, I hear I hear Mike Shope, and what I what I hear is a guy who, when you get to understand what he's about and what he likes, okay, he likes gambling, he likes fantasy football, he likes baseball. None of these things are really relevant in Buffalo right now, so he has nothing to talk about, and it's been this way for a while. Much like Jerry Sullivan, who would self-proclaimed he thought basketball was the greatest sport on earth. We don't have a basketball team, Jerry. You, you have to cover the Bills because that's the biggest game in town and that's what you're here for. Over time, when you're put in a situation where you don't love... Anybody can take a job, right? And even if you're great at it, if you don't love what you do, inevitably it will wear you thin. Look at Jerry Sullivan, Chris. I used to get on this podcast and rant about him and t- talk about what a burnout he was and how he was turning off the fan base. Two years later, he gets fired, released from his contract by the paper because they cite he's bad for the brand. And that he, he had turned off the fan base. Well, Shope is tap dancing all over the line of that. And I think he's another guy that a lot like Jerry Sullivan needs to... Obviously, you have to have some talent to, to get to a point where you can hold down a drive-time show, even in a small market like Buffalo. You have to have some talent. Take that talent somewhere where you can use it towards something you enjoy. Be engaged. I do this podcast. If you ask me to come on here and talk about baseball, I'd want to shoot myself in the face. That's it. I would. I, oh my God. Shope could go to Cleveland. I'm sure they could use him. If Cleveland. I had to do a year's worth of podcasts, Chris, with you about baseball, I would go home and brush my teeth with Buckshot. Okay? <laughs> All right. Let's do it this summer. <laughs> so, with that We're said. We're going to be every other week. I can in the understand summer. his frustration, but I think he needs to move on. Or at least the station has to get involved because you're, it's going to start affecting your listeners. Lord, Lord knows I don't listen anymore. And I'm just one guy. Maybe that doesn't matter. The older generation is always going to tune in because they don't understand how podcasts work. They don't understand how the internet works and how to go on there and find these things. So they trust the radio because it's old, it's familiar, it's reliable. With that said, as those people age out of your core markets, what you're going to see is that the average sports fan is getting smarter, especially the younger ones. They're going to go somewhere to find content that they like. That's why podcasts are popular in the first place because regular Terrestrial radio isn't giving people what they want. 
And right now I think WGR is playing with fire by keeping Mike Shope around the way that they are. But Chris, I think it's fair to say he's having a much worse week than we are. Somebody else who just lost their gainful employment, since we're on the subject. Former Packers head coach Mike McCarthy. Ugh. Now, it's hard, as someone who isn't constantly watching the Packers, to understand how a coach can work for a team for 13 years. Puts up a, He has a career coaching record of 125-77-2. He's got a Super Bowl ring. He has nine winning seasons with the Packers, and eight of those, he had at least ten wins. Six division titles, and he gets shown the door after two down seasons. <laughs> uh, if you have not watched... I don't know, have you watched Green Bay? No! Because you can easily see that Rodgers and McCarthy hate each other. But so that's it? What, the quarterback just trumps the coach who's brought, who has made your team successful? Or do you think that this move signals that the franchise firmly believes that he's not responsible for, the, for their success? Mike McCarthy deserved to be fired. Everybody knew that. I mean, here we are, watching him clean out his office. I mean, okay, the season hasn't gone according to plan. Most of them thought that Green Bay would at least, they knew they had taken a step back, that their defense wasn't as good as the Vikings, and that their offense wasn't going to be as good as probably what the Bears were going to field with Matt Nagy as their head coach. At the same time, nobody thought they'd, <laughs> they'd be 26th in the division in third down conversions. <laughs> 26th in the league, that is. And they were just beaten at home by the third worst team in football. And now their record's 4-7-1, and one, which means they're out of the playoff race. So if you want to say that, oh, well, this season was so bad, we have to go. I don't know. I, I just considering his numbers, I don't get it, Chris. I just don't. He's going to get fired anyway. Why? Because because, that, because he didn't get along with Aaron Rodgers? Yeah, that relationship soured. All relationships sour. Ours have been soured since it started. <laughs> that's true. That is true. And I think that that's what sustains us here, Chris. Cheers. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it... it, it no coach just coaches forever unless you're Belichick because you cheat. At some point, your relationship sours with your team, and the message that you are preaching isn't bought by your players. It's time for him to go. I mean, the last 13 time I, years. It was a long-ass time. The last time I looked at a coach coaching change or a coach getting fired and just had to scratch my head about it was the, was the Jim Harbaugh. Jim Harbaugh was one season removed from having his team in the Super Bowl. But again, to, to, to your point, the story coming out of the locker room was that he had, lost the, he had lost the team. The message had gotten stale. So, I mean, I don't know if that says more about players or about the coaches. Here's what I will say. For his sake, he won't be unemployed for long. He's got the numbers to back up the fact that he can at least be, a, a, whether it's a head coach or an offensive coordinator, he's got numbers on his side. And the NFL loves retreads almost as much as it loves money. I mean, look at the guy who's filling in for McCarthy. It's Joe Philbin. Joe Philbin, uh, the last time he was a head coach for the Miami Dolphins, he never had a winning season. Never finished with a winning record. The, but, uh, but he's still here somehow working in football. So you know McCarthy is going to, he's going to get a job somewhere. But here's the thing, Chris. The reason I feel terrible for him and the reason why Bills fans should actually pity this guy is that you just, imagine, imagine being a Formula One race car driver, and then you lose your gig and have to go drive a Greyhound bus. 
that's what life is going to be like for Mike McCarthy, knowing that he's got to go from coaching arguably one of the best quarterbacks to ever take the field to, I don't know, who's what he, he's going to go take over for some, if he gets a head coaching job, it'll be on some team that's completely rebuilding with, with who? You don't, you don't think uh, Mike McCarthy, offensive guy, would uh, love to coach Baker Mayfield? If John Harbaugh gets fired in Baltimore, do they part ways? Lamar Jackson or Joe Flacco, depending on what they want to do there. Or even, I mean, Tampa's got a decision to make on Jameis Winston. What if he goes to Tampa? Can he resurrect uh It's Jameis Aaron Winston? Rodgers. I know. You're lo- that's like, Chris, that's like your situation. You got divorced from a woman who was, a, I would say, a, an She was eight. a dime piece. I would say she's an eight and a half. A bu- she's, she's a Buffalo 10. An eight and a half nationally, if we wanted to break it down by state to state barriers. But now you're stuck dating fives and sixes again that you meet on the internet. <laughs> well, that's just so I can get laid. <laughs> so there, there none of this again. is long lasting love. There again, there again, though. <laughs> Once it's gone, it's gone. And you can, yeah, you can find a gig, but it's never going to be as good as that first one. <laughs> so with that, Mr. McCarthy. You have our deepest condolences. Cheers. Happy trails. And so with that, folks, we close the show out with our Week 14 preview and discussion. Buffalo Bills versus the New York Jets. Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Standard. The weather, 29 degrees, possible light snow. It's going to be cold. Okay? So dress appropriately if you're going to be out there like we are, tailgating before the sun comes up. Place, New Era Field, Orchard Park, New York. And the line... Buffalo minus three. I think, Chris, is this the first time we've been favored in a game all season? I'm pretty sure it is. <laughs> oh, my God. What are you going to be watching for? When it comes to Sunday, I mean, we, we previewed the Jets with uh, in a, a podcast a few weeks ago with um, Joe, Joe Blewett, Blewett from uh, Turn, Turn on, on the, the Jets, Jets Film Room. Oh, Jinx. Nah, that's stupid. What, Turn on the Jets Film Room or Jinx? The whole game of Jinx is stupid. Jinx, you owe me. Jinx, you owe me a beater. I'm just gonna punch you in the groin. That's all I'm. Jinx, gonna you owe me a Seagrams. <laughs> you owe me a Seagrams. There's different storylines though that have developed between now and then. I mean, the last time we talked to Joe Blewett about the Jets, we previewed what their offense was gonna look like, and ultimately it didn't matter because Josh McCown and that entire group came out and puked all over themselves. So we didn't get to see any of it. So I'm going to go back and re-listen to that discussion about what their offense could be with Sam Darnold before this game. And I guess that's where I start. I start with Sam Darnold against the Buffalo Bills defense, specifically against our secondary. I mean, when you look at it, Sam Darnold leads all rookie quarterbacks in interceptions. And his team is coming in on a six-game losing streak where their offense has really struggled to move the ball. Chris, do you do you expect him to go out there with the cast of wide receivers he has and really make hay when more experienced quarterbacks really haven't found the ability to do so? I just don't think he's going to throw the ball. I mean, he's Sam Darnold's got a you're gun, a Darnold fan. Which yeah, is why I got, ask you this. He's got a gunslinger's mentality. So is what does he have? Fourteen picks on the year? Not surprising. <laughs> he'll, pro- he'll probably be around that for most of his career. I. I like that this is another matchup, Sam Darnold against Josh Allen. It's potential to be, a, a, you know, what Kelly and Marino was. I think this is going to be the future of the division. I'm telling you. 
You, you saw a glimpse of it with Josh Allen on Sunday. Okay, I, I will give you that it's it's a good matchup, but the fact that you just called the three, what, three and eight in the, what, three? Just wait, down the line. That's what it's going to, this is what this is going to turn into. This will, this will in Marina. I know, it'll I'm be. Really stretching the imagination. I know, it'll be better. <laughs> also, one of the things I'm looking at is the patchwork offensive line that we're, ro- we're rolling out here against the Jets. When we played the Jets last, Matt Barkley carved this defense up, and it happened because they gave him all day to throw the ball. Our wide, re- our wide receivers, especially Robert Foster, were able to get incredible separation simply because the pocket never collapsed. Matt Barkley never had pressure in his face. That's with a healthy center, two healthy guards, you know, Wyatt Teller making his first start, so there's no tape on him. You don't know his tendencies. It's harder for defenses to exploit his weaknesses. Now he's got games worth a couple games worth of tape on the on out there for consumption. You're talking about Jeremiah Searles is going to get the start at guard. I would. Roy act- is going to get the start at center, the, and we're going up against Leonard Williams and what I think is an underrated defensive line. I don't think the defensive line for the Jets is great. But when you're basically playing guys who would be backups on any other team in football except for ours right now, that's a fucking problem. I might take uh, you after a 12-pack over cereals at guard. <laughs> you, have the, you do have the wingspan. I got the wingspan and just the, just the mentality. I mean, look at these teeth. Yeah. I'm not have, afraid to use you them. You have a, the wingspan, and then after a 12-pack, you definitely have the rage. <laughs> You'll be, you'd be like Kyle Turley. You'd just throw a helmet across the field. <laughs> Turley! I love the fact that there's a Kyle Turley reference in this podcast. Oh, my night is almost complete. Uh, it didn't... First, <laughs> crowd is going to be a huge factor, Chris. Jacksonville, the crowd and the energy after that fight is what turned the tide in that game. But well, what's the injury report on uh, you? Will your hand be ready to punch the bleachers? Absolutely. Listen, I play hurt. Okay, that's the kind of guy I am. I play injured. So, <laughs> well, you know what? It's it's supposed to be what thirty degrees. So you're gonna wear a couple layers of gloves so it'll be padded when you beat on the bleachers. Absolutely. Listen, I'm a bitch. I'm a I'm a one I am one man, but I make enough noise for five people. Maybe that's why that woman yelled at me last week that I was too loud. Who knows? We're gonna see what. I want to see how many fans show up this week and how engaged they are with the game because I think it's going to play a big part in this. And also, I want to count how many of them I inadvertently offend because apparently that's a thing. That's a thing that happens. And then, obviously, I think the marquee thing that should draw people to the stadium on Sunday, Josh Allen. Josh Allen's continued development. This is a defense that, guy, as I just said, got tuned up by Matt Barkley. Okay? Deep passing. Deep passing was there for the taking. There's, this is a team that's going to have to put players in the box. They just watched what happened to Miami. They let Josh Allen run wild all over him, like Hulkamania. You know? What, what, what's a good term we can come up with for that? Allen mania? When he's just running wild? We'll have to think about that. We're, we're going to have to come up with a phrase around that. But ultimately, they're going to have to commit extra players to the box. And given the fact that their secondary is leaky at best, I mean, you watch, you're talking about a Jets team that lost a game last week in stunning fashion. They had the game won, and then their cornerbacks just start getting torched by these wide receivers deep down the field. And 
the Titans aren't exactly a prolific passing offense. They're good. They're decent, but they're not prolific. Do you think? Let me ask you this. So Todd Bowles watches the film from our game yesterday and sees Josh Allen just running all over the place, making plays, 135 yards. There's going to be extra players in the box. Do you think he goes to Deron Lee? You're going to be a spy. <laughs> no, you're going to be because a spy. Deron Lee. Deron Lee will get hurdled. It would be easier for him to hurdle Deron Lee than it was for me to try to hurdle that two-and-a-half-foot guardrail last week, Chris. I, that, I, that's how easy it would be. I, I picture it like if that gets in a situation where Allen leaves the pocket and he's coming up to Deron Lee, it's going to be somewhat a stiff arm, somewhat of uh, from dirty work when they go to his like hallucinations and Gary Coleman gets like punched and gets knocked <laughs> down. It's going to be the same thing. That's what Allen's going to do to Durant Lee. Guarantee it. Mark it down. I mean, you're talking about a team, though. That's worth noting, Chris, the running. Because Marcus Mariota just averaged 10 yards per carry against this Jets defense. The game that they ultimately lost. They are going to commit resources to the box. Mark my words. Which should free things up in the passing game. But then the other point that I want to make here. This might be. I mean, this is... The secondary of the Miami Dolphins, I know everybody's high on them. They don't do anything for me, personally. They don't. I'm not afraid of them. I think Rashad Jones is a decent safety, but he's underplayed. Since he got his contract extension, he's been underwhelming, to say the least. Jamal Adams, on the other hand, for the Jets, he's aggressive. Last week, he had a sack, pass breakups. He's everywhere. He's flying around the field making impact plays. This might be the best safety, just just from a just a pure talent standpoint and ability on his own. The best safety Josh Allen has had to play all season. No, who's better, Derwin James? Derwin, you're an idiot. <laughs> you are an idiot. Get out of here. All right. So Jamal Adams, this is going to be a test because I'm sure there are going to be times when he wants to test them deep. I'm sure just given up, given the Jets kind of penchant for giving up those deep passing plays. There's going to be times we want to we want to test him. He's just got to stay away from Jamal Adams or at least be careful when you're throwing towards him because that kid is a playmaker. And I want to see how he handles that because he's effective in every level of the defense. He's in the box making plays. He comes on blitzes. It's going to be really interesting to see the chess match between Jamal Adams and Josh Allen and how that all plays out. Chris, your predictions. Oh, unfortunately, uh, I think the Bills will win. 20 to 16. Chris, why do you hate the Bills winning football games so much? Because I want a higher draft pick. We're not making the playoffs. Play for draft position. I want the future of this team to be good, and you get good through the draft. You get a, you suck. We had seven, once we had, had seven losses, you suck the rest of the way. Do you get a know top what five a loss, pick. Do you know what going to a loss, attending a Bills loss, do you know what that does to me? For days. For a week. It brings us closer as friends. I'm a miserable prick. Yeah. I hate everything. My coffee tastes like shit on Monday morning. I'm miserable. Yeah, I'm but jet- it's for the good of the team. It's for the good of the team. It's for the good of nobody. What I want to see for is development. Future. Development for all of these young guys. And that usually means that the team did pretty well if they're developing. I'll take that. I think that Josh Allen struggles out of the gate in this game and finds his stride later on as it progresses. I see a game. This is going to be an interesting thing because last week I said we were going to rely on the kicking game. 
And guess what? We couldn't trust it because Matt Dar as a holder actually blew two of them. An extra point and a field goal attempt. No, that was on Hauschka. Ugh. I'll fight you in the street over it. I, I, we, you and I watched that replay ad nauseum. Yeah, and I, I, maintain, I thought it was Hauschka. I maintain Hauschka. Either way, your kicking game all of a sudden not not as reliable as you thought it was. They're, they're, they're gonna go. They're gonna play for touchdowns, which is probably the first time that's happened in a while for a Bills team. And it's gonna it's gonna have to happen through the air because nobody in your backfield on offense has gotten it done this season. Nobody. LaShawn McCoy has two touchdowns. What, uh, what's his face? Uh, backup. Tusks there. What's his name? Uh, formerly of the New York Jets. Chris Ivory. Chris Ivory has one rushing touchdown, I believe. You mean to tell me that the Buffalo Bills, a team just a few years removed from the best rushing offenses in football, have no production from their running back stable? It's It's pathetic. So they're not going I don't expect them to contribute in any any major way, Chris. I expect this to come down to what Josh Allen can do with his arm. And I think it's going to be a tough game and I think it's one we pull out in the end, something to the tune of 24 to 17, we'll call it. 24 to nah, 24-20 I'll give him. I wonder if this is going to be Sam Darnold's first time seeing snow. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. His first time seeing snow. We know Alan's seen it playing in Wyoming. They don't snow that much in L.A., I've heard. Folks, it's going to be really interesting. Make sure you tune in on Saturday night as we go over keys to victory. We're going to talk about, you know, we're going to break down the final injury report on Periscope. It's going to be a lot of fun. you got to get with us on game day. If you see us out in the parking lots, look for Charge Buffalo. There's going to be a link in the, in the description. It's Del Reed, you know, 26 shirts. It's his latest philanthropic venture where he's trying to help out the Buffalo City Mission. We bought their flag, and it flies from our tent every week. If you see it in the parking lot over there, 5330 Big Tree Road, come say hi. Grab a beer. It'll be fun. This week, we're going to be there before the sun comes up. Hopefully, we see you there. Also, don't forget to stop by Wise Guys Pizzeria. The Toys for Tots drive is still going from now until the 15th of December. You come in. It's simple. You come in and donate a toy, $10 to $15 value. You get a gift certificate for a free pizza. You're helping out the community of South Buffalo. You're, you're doing the right thing around Christmas time. I mean, who doesn't feel good when they try to help others out? And at the same time, you're getting a free pizza. It doesn't get any simpler than that. www.wiseguysbuffalo.com you want any details on that and if you're out there and you want to try to donate but you're not close enough to the south buffalo area get a hold of us rockpowerreport 716 at gmail.com at rockpowerreport on twitter we'll do everything we can to try to help guys be loud be proud out there but we gotta go i'm drew gear that's chris krueger thank you so much for stopping by the rockpowerreport